My name's Eric, I wanna welcome you to E3, and uh, um, as Mike said, I'm really happy that you guys are here. I don't know what quite to make of what, when Mike said, um, if, why don't he wouldn't be here if he didn't have to be or whatever. Uh, we'll have a little meeting afterwards. Uh, um, so we're in the middle of this uh, series we're calling Witness, and what we're doing is we're taking a look at people who uh, were around Jesus, were watching him, were with him in the last days before he was crucified, and we're going to look at a guy named uh, Simon Peter, or, or Peter, uh, if you've ever read the Gospels, and, and we're going to look particularly at, at that episode that Dan read and what it means, and what it means to us. Because the question that we're asking every single week is how are we like the, these people that we read about, you know? Last week, we, we asked, how am I like Judas? And, and we discovered that maybe in some surprising ways, we're a little bit more like Judas than what we would ever think. That's the guy that betrayed Jesus. But to, to really get into what that episode means... For Jesus and for Peter, I want to take a short trip back in Peter's life. I want to uh, take the, the camera lens and zoom out a little bit and give you a taste of who Peter is and what has led him to this moment and then actually what happens after the moment. So uh, real quick, Peter is one of the first disciples that are called. He's one of the very first. When Jesus starts calling disciples around the time that he's 30, Peter is one of the first people that he calls. Uh, and he ends up being one of the 12. In the Bible, Jesus has these 12 followers who are his closest followers. And then there's widening circles of followers. But Peter is one of the 12. And not only that, Peter is one of the three now, that's not like an official Bible designation, but Jesus has three followers, Peter, James, and John, who are closer to him than even anybody in the 12. So Peter is on the inner circle of the inner circle. Not only that, is Peter is the leader. So if you ever read the Gospels, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, virtually every time you see a list of the 12, Peter's name is first. He's considered the lead apostle, the leader of the 12. He's also considered the representative. So when the disciples or when the 12 have to ask Jesus a question in the Gospels, it's usually Peter that is asking the question. And so I'm doing all this and, and saying all this to let you know the status of Peter and who he is in Jesus's life. Now, um, Obviously, we have the story of what a lot of us might know as the denial or, or the betrayal of, of Peter to his rabbi, to his follower, or to his uh, leader, Jesus. Now, after this, I, I just kind of want to let you know that um, Peter actually is, uh, emerges as a leader of the first church. So in the very first church in Jerusalem, we know that Peter somehow, though he denies and betrays Jesus here, he ends up being one of the three main leaders that we know of in the Jerusalem church, along with James, Jesus's brother, a different James, Jesus's brother James, and a guy named Paul. And then we know a little bit about the end of Peter's life, at least according to church tradition, he is executed for being a Christ follower in Rome, where we believe, and, uh, and that is a story that we 
kind of believed to be true. There's no reason to doubt it. It's not in the Bible, but that's church tradition. So I want to walk through some key elements of Peter's life, kind of in this flow a little bit. Uh, one of the most critical things that we know about Peter is that he has this interaction with Jesus. Uh, I'm just going to read the text. It's in Matthew 16. If you want to turn there, uh, it's, you know, we're in Matthew, Dan read Matthew 26, a uh, few chapters before that, Matthew 16. Now, now, Jesus and his followers have been walking around preaching and healing people and teaching. And then uh, almost out of nowhere, Jesus makes this critical statement to his closest followers. From that time, verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. I love this next verse. Then Peter took hold of Jesus. Raise your hand if you think laying hands on Jesus is a good idea. Uh, Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him, began to correct him. God forbid, Lord, this will not happen to you. Now, if we pause here for just a moment, I want to tell you that uh, we have, as I said, four different what we call gospels, four different versions of the stories of Jesus. In, in three of those four, this story is told, which just from a literary point of view, it says this was an important moment in the Bible, and it was an important moment in Peter's life. Jesus says, look, I've got to go to Jerusalem, and there's this thing waiting for me called the cross. And Peter says, that is no way accurate, Jesus. And he scolds him and he lays hands on him. And then Jesus responds very forcefully. Jesus turns to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. And that's just the name for the adversary of God or the accuser of God's people. Those are two ways to understand that title. I think in this case, it's the adversary the force, the person that is opposed to God's purposes in the world. Jesus says, get behind me, adversary person, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble. For you're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. So here's the way I would sum this up. Uh, essentially this. The first time Peter, or first time Jesus mentions the, necess the necessity for suffering and for the cross... Peter says, no, that does not fit into my equation of who you are, Jesus. It doesn't fit into my equation of where this thing is going, Jesus. So it's very easy to just sum it up by saying um, the first thing I would say about Peter is that he does not accept the reality of the cross. He does not accept the reality of suffering for Jesus. He just doesn't. He denies it. And so when Jesus gets to Jerusalem and the, and the reality of suffering emerges, well, that might be why Peter reacts the way he does because it just never enters his mind that suffering and crucifixion is the way that this might end up. But we know that that's where the story goes. And so I want to take a closer look at, at the text that Dan read for us. Uh, so in Matthew 26... Verse 69, uh, 
Matthew describes Peter's interactions with a few different folks. And the way it's set up in the Bible is it's almost set up as a, a parallel between the trial that Jesus is going through and the trial that Peter's going to go through. And there's some interesting movement that, that, that happens. Now, Jesus uh, is facing the most powerful people in his country, period. In, uh, in, in Judea, in the, in the nation of Israel at this time, I've always said there's no division between politics and religion and society. So he's in, Jesus is in front of these people called the high priests. And because there's no difference, the high priests are also the most powerful political figures in the country. And Jesus is there facing them. And they're accusing him. And Jesus, if, if you've ever read the stories, is mostly silent. Now we begin to like unpack the contrast and, and, and what the text is saying about Peter. And, and so uh, Peter, there's a courtyard, we're told. And so Jesus is in the courtyard and Peter is, is in the courtyard as well. Uh, he's sitting outside in the courtyard and verse 69 says Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant woman came and said to him, you were also with Jesus the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of all of them saying, I don't know what you're talking about. So now again, who is accusing Jesus? Who is accusing Jesus? The high priest, who is the most powerful figure in the land. Now, who is accusing Peter? A servant girl. And uh, there's, there's, in the text, in Greek, if you were to read this, uh, Matthew actually highlights the fact that it's only a servant girl. Jesus against the most powerful people in the land, and he's remaining silent and just kind of answering yes or no. A servant girl, contrasted with Peter, accuses him. Peter's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You see the contrast that happens there? The second movement, and, and what I want you to notice is that there's a movement, a physical movement that Peter goes. So at first it says he's outside in the courtyard, the second time, in verse 71, he's moved. He went over to the gate. And another woman saw him and said to those who were there, uh, this man, Peter, was uh, with Jesus, the man from Nazareth, with a solemn pledge, he denied it again, saying, I don't know the man. Now, this time when Peter denies it, it says that he adds a solemn pledge. And this is interesting because in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 5, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he has something very specific to say about pledges. So in Matthew 5, verse uh, 34, Jesus says, I say to you, that you must, what's the text say? Not pledge at all. He says, you must not pledge by the earth because it's God's footstool. You must not pledge by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Don't pledge by your head because you can't turn one hair black or white. And then Jesus says, look, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. 
So this time when Peter denies it, he doesn't just deny that he knows Jesus, he actually denies that he knows Jesus' teaching. He just counteracts the whole pledge thing. I'll do a solemn pledge. I know you said not to, Jesus, but I'm going to do it anyway. Back to the story. The last movement. A short time later, those standing there, and came, they came and said to Peter, you must be one of them. The way you talk gives you away. And we talked about this last time. Is, uh, G- Peter's from Galilee, so is Jesus. They talk differently than the people in the south. Surprise, surprise. Those nor- northerners sound funny, don't they? Um, and they say, look, Peter, you talk like one of those people. You must be one of them. And then Peter says, uh, he cursed and he swore. and says, I don't know the man. And at that very moment, the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered Jesus' words. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out. So the movement is from where Jesus is to the gate to just out. And it says he wept uncontrollably. But I want to circle back. Because I think that sometimes we blow by that last section of Peter's denial. You know, last week we talked about the idea that like Peter probably didn't utter like the the safe Christian curse words that we all do where we just substitute one word for the real bad word and then we think it's okay. I think Peter actually did swear. I think he just let loose something because that was kind of his nature. He was a little bit of a talk first, think second person. But that's not all he did. Because when it says he cursed, that's not just another way of saying profanity. The Greek word that is used there is the word anathema. And that literally is, you know, anathema, something to be, uh, to be stayed away from. And in this context, it is cursed. And so, based on the way the grammar is written in the Greek, do you know what Peter does? He says... Cursed is Jesus. He curses Jesus. He doesn't just say blackity black, black, frickin' frackin' frickin'. He curses Jesus. Let's pause on that for a second. He pronounces that Jesus is an anathema. That's how deep his betrayal is. It is not just, I don't know the man. It is fully rejecting who Jesus is. And yet, we are told, again, he emerges as a leader in the first church. And by the late uh, first century, he's actually executed as being a Jesus follower, for being a Jesus follower. So I want to move forward now in Peter's life because um, in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel, after Peter does this, he just kind of disappears. He's not really there at the crucifixion. And even in the resurrection, the women have to go find Peter. He's not there waiting at the grave. Peter just fades away. He stays away. Now, John's gospel, the fourth story of Jesus, is a little bit different. And so what I want to do is show you uh, an interaction 
between Jesus and Peter that changes Peter's life. So it starts in uh, the very last chapter of John's gospel in chapter 21, um, verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, the same guy that cursed him. He says, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than anybody else? And Simon says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. He's talking about the church and Peter's role in the church. Feed my followers, provide for them, teach them. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, I, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, then take care of my sheep, care for them. Then he asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So hold that there. I, I mentioned uh, that, that Peter's problems with Jesus really start the first time Jesus says, I have to go suffer. The first time Jesus says, there's a cross waiting for me in Jerusalem, an execution waiting for me in uh, Jerusalem, Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, you must be wrong. You didn't, uh, maybe you weren't there on that Sunday school day. Let me explain to you how this whole thing works. He has a problem with the cross. He cannot accept it. Now, uh, when Peter is uh, relatively old, he writes a letter to some churches in modern-day uh, Turkey. And I want you to read what Peter writes at the end of his life because it's amazing. From the man that did not accept the cross, from the man that cursed Jesus and abandoned him, by the end of his life, he writes these words to the church. Therefore, since Christ suffered as a human, he says, church, people of God, you should also arm yourselves with his way of thinking. So Peter says, look, Jesus' way of thinking involved a journey to the cross. It involved suffering. And by this time, at the end of his life, Peter says, actually, we need to think the same way that Jesus did. And he says, this is because whoever suffers is finished with sin. And they don't live the rest of their lives in ways determined by human desires, but in ways determined by God's will. In that first verse, Peter actually says, look, uh, put on armor. And he says, you know where the armor comes from? It comes from suffering. It comes from suffering. Peter's paradigm and perspective on suffering has 180 degrees changed by the end of his life. Matthew 16, Jesus says, I've got to suffer. Peter says, no, you're wrong. Let me lay some hands on you, Jesus. Let's see how that goes. He abandons Jesus probably because of that same misunderstanding of suffering. And yet by the end of his life, he's 180 degrees flipped. And he says, church, people, you're going to suffer. 
and if you embrace it, because that's what Jesus did. It will arm you and protect you in a way that nothing else will. That is a mind change. That is a flipping of the script. And I want to just kind of explore how did he get there? What happened to Peter that made that change? Now, you know, we could give Sunday school answers all day long. Well, the resurrection happened, but Peter wasn't even there for the resurrection. Well, you know, like Jesus surely just kind of zapped him with some Holy Spirit power some, and then Peter was okay. Except if you know Peter's story, you know Peter actually, even though he's a leader in the church, he actually makes a lot more mistakes. He just gets things flat out wrong even after the resurrection. He's still growing. And so, yes, the resurrection impacted Peter. Yes, I'm sure he was uh, experiencing some kind of supernatural power that, that we can have as well. But I think that there's something to be said for how Jesus guides Peter through the mind change that he goes through. So the first thing I want to tell you is that what happens here is that Peter is able to embrace uh, the idea that you can change over time. And I just call it like he embraces a growth mindset instead of a static mindset. And this really contrasts with Judas, who we talked about last, last week, who just experiences the, the fact that he hands Jesus over and he repents, but somehow it doesn't work. And Judas ends up dangling at the end of a rope. I think sometimes that what, the way I would describe Judas's experience is he just stops at the fact that I am a betrayer. And that's all I'll ever be. And that's a static mindset. Peter says, yes. <sighs> I denied Jesus. I even cursed him. But that's not where I have to stay. I can grow. I can change. You see, like a static mindset, a growth mindset versus a growth mindset really gets at this idea of, look, I am this way and that's all I'll ever be versus I am becoming something different. Have you ever uh, just like encountered or decided to embrace a hobby or a new activity and you're like, man, I have no idea how to do this fill in the blank thing. And then you worked on it and you failed a lot and you struggled and you practiced and then lo and behold, eventually you could do that thing. Whether it's musical instruments, whether it's physical exercise, whether it's intellectual exploration, right? A lot of us, some of, some of us in our lives, we have areas in our life where we are all about growth. We're like, man, yes, I, I will figure this thing out. But then some of us may have other areas where we're stuck. And we go, this is all I've ever been and this is all I ever will be. That line of thinking is kind of a trap because we are designed for growth. We are machined for change and transformation. Even from a person that misunderstands the central thing of Jesus' life, the cross, and even from a man who denies, betrays, and curses Jesus, he is able 
to with integrity at the end of his life saying, oh my gosh, the cross, I would have it no other way. I have to suffer because Jesus suffers, so bring it on. Because suffering does things in me that nothing else will. Where's your mindset today? I know a lot of people walk in here and there's a thing that they've done, there's an action they've taken, there's a decision they've made, and, and they're stuck in this way of thinking that says, I am that decision for the rest of my life. Peter's story says, no, actually, you're not. Growth is possible. Change is not only possible, but I would even dare say expected in the spiritual life. But how does it happen? That's the question. So I was reading uh, this week, um, and I just want to kind of walk you through the basics. We don't have time to explore every little way that growth and change happen. But here's what I read this week by um, a guy, a couple of really good, wise folks, Dr. Henry Cloud, Dr. Townsend. They, they, they wrote a book called How People Grow. And what they found is that basically growth is a simple equation of relationship, truth, and time. And so relationship is basically a relationship with God because that's where the power flows from. A relationship with other people that can care for you and help you and encourage you. But they can also speak truth to you. you see, you're never going to grow if you just keep getting fed what you want to hear all the time. Sometimes we need to hear the truth about our lives, do we not? So relationship plus truth, and then there's that one thing that we really don't like, and that is time. Because when we want to see change, we're impatient. But they say, relationship with God, relationship with others, you have to have it. You can't fake it. That's why authenticity is a core value at E3. Because if you don't have those authentic relationships, you won't hear the truth. And then be patient with yourself. And other people are called to be patient with you as well. But here's the kicker. You know what it all starts with normally? It starts with suffering and grief and pain. Because that's normally what it takes to wake us up. Anybody ever experienced this where you're like, you know what, I feel like my life is kind of going okay. And then you hit a wall or you hit the bottom and, you, and you're just not going to dig any lower. And, and you're like, well, actually, no, this is quite painful. And then some of us actually just keep digging because pain hurts. Suffering is not pleasant. But if you stay in that, the eyes begin to open. And then you're going, maybe, maybe, just maybe there's another way to live out there. And let me show you how this works in Peter's life. So we read John 21. How many times does, Peter, does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? How many times does Peter deny Jesus? That's no accident, folks. That's no hidden Bible code. That's Jesus saying, Peter, 
you can change and you can grow, but I have got to take you to the depth of your pain of what you did so that you can be honest with yourself. And, that, and I love putting myself in Peter's mind the first time that Jesus, had, maybe, maybe they never talked about it. And maybe Peter was like a lot of us and he was like, maybe I can just kind of go on with life and I don't need to address that betrayal thing. I'm hanging out with Jesus, but if he never brings it up, I won't bring it up. And the past is the past, right? Anybody ever been like that? Well, I did this thing and maybe if I never bring it up, we can just move on. But Peter, uh, Jesus says, that's not the way life works. That's not the way change works. So I imagine this interaction where Jesus says, hey, Peter, uh, do you love me? And Peter's thinking right at this point, oh yeah, I, I love you more than everybody else. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asks him a second time, hey, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, maybe Peter's palms are starting to sweat. Maybe Peter's saying, did he know? No, he, surely. Surely he didn't know. And he says, no, I, lo I love you more than everybody else. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Care for them. And then Jesus asks him the third time, and you know why the text say Peter's was sad? Because he knows then Jesus knows. And Jesus has to take him to the depth of his suffering. And he has to have Peter acknowledge, Peter, this is what you did. Peter, number three, do you love me? And Peter knows exactly what's going on at this point. And he says, yes. I think at that point, Peter's life changes. Because let's be honest, a lot of us, when we get to grief, when we get to suffering, when we get to pain, you know what we do? We go buy something or drink something or click on something or pick up the phone and reach out to someone and self-medicate because the pain hurts too much. That's our culture. That's our society. Don't suffer. Go buy something. Go do something. Distract yourself. But that's not the way change happens. Change happens when you sit in it and you go, I really need to acknowledge what's going on here. And that is when pain and suffering can be your armor because you can realize that you can grow beyond that. It's something that's just called, the concept is called redemptive suffering. Uh, Cloud and Townsend call it good pain versus bad pain. Good pain is surgery. When you have something wrong in your body and you're like, this is going to hurt, but I need to have this fixed, so you do it. Bad pain is a mugging. When you just get beaten up and something gets taken from you. And one of the tricks of life is to learn to separate good pain versus bad pain. When is bad pain, when is this a result of just decisions that I keep making over and over and over again because I just keep making that decision and hanging out with that crowd versus I have a wound and I'm hurting There's another little brief roadmap uh, to redemptive suffering that I want to give you. And again, these are conceptual. 
They, re they require a lot of exploration. So don't think that you're going to go out of here with a menu of how to do this. This takes a lot of exploring. So the first thing is you have to quit playing God. You know, we have situations in our lives and we're just like, well, if, if I was like God, I could just change this situation. Then it'll be all right. No, a lot of situations you can't change. You're not God. And so to learn to suffer accurately, it's like, man, I'm not God. I don't know what you're doing here, God. I don't know what you're up to. But I'm going to surrender trying to be God and, and accept it for what it is. And it hurts God. Second thing, submit. Submit to God's will. And I would say that means abandoning your defenses. You can't make that phone call. You can't shoot that text message off. You can't buy that thing. You can't binge watch that next series on Netflix. You have to do the next right thing. And then the last thing, you have to surrender the right to retaliate. Because when we get hurt, if you're anything like me, one thing that you really want against the thing that hurts you or the person that hurts you is revenge. That just starts a whole other cycle. You have to surrender the right to retaliate. That is how good pain happens. That's how you can start to put on an armor of suffering that can insulate you from the rocking and to and fro and back and forth of this world. And that's what Peter does. Jesus asks him those three questions, questions, takes him to the depth of his pain. And we don't like it, but um, one of my favorite quotes is from a poet named Rumi. And he says, the light enters through the wound. I paraphrase it by saying, that's how love gets in. Love enters us through the wound. And if you refuse to be wounded or to acknowledge it, the light cannot come in. The light cannot come in. So I want to leave you with a few questions. The first question, um, is there anywhere in your life that you are avoiding redemptive suffering? Is there just some area of your life where it, there's a raw nerve, but instead of sitting with it and naming it and turning it to God and other people, you just keep going, well, let me just go buy the next thing. I hope you understand that that's not getting you anywhere. Second question. What do you need to grieve? What do you need to grieve? You know, this week, um, my counselor, a lot of you guys know, I believe, in, uh, I believe in solid counseling. It just helps me, it helps me name my things, right? And this week, man, we got to another layer. And we named some stuff, he and I, that I need to grieve, that I haven't. But I know Whenever I turn away from it and ignore it, I'm not getting better. So what do you need to grieve? What is the thing? Can you name it? Is it an abandonment issue? Is it somebody hurt me? Is it 
I feel lost and I don't know where to turn? Is it I'm angry all the time? Is it I want revenge against this person or this institution? Is it, is it, what is it? And the last question. What's a tangible way that you can embrace the principles of growth? Do you need to get right with God? Do you just need to say, man, I just need to invite God into my life and, and get some kind of power outside of myself? Do you need to like work on a relationship with other people, maybe in a growth group, and say, I need to take a mask off and just show people this is who I am and this is what I'm suffering? Do you need to hear some truth? <laughs> or are you the type of person that like, as soon as somebody says, can I just say something that I've noticed about you? And you're like, come on. <laughs> Do you need to go, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. Tell me the truth about myself. And this is a big one for me. Do you need to be patient? Do you need to just say, man, God's not finished with me yet, and I'm working on this thing? Because it's really easy to get frustrated and just abandon the process. One of my favorite quotes is something that says, trust in the slow work of God. God is a gardener. He takes time. So I'm going to invite us uh, all to stand. And uh, you guys know we've been reading uh, a confession together just so that we can all acknowledge that none of us are perfect and we all need a little something in my life. So um, I'm going to come down here and, and we're just going to read this confession of how we're like Peter and what we need maybe in this moment. So you're invited to read this with me because I wrote this to myself. That's why I used I. So you guys can share in this confession with me. Father, I forget that I am invited to grow, to be transformed. What's more, even when I remember, I forget that growth normally flows from pain. The truth is, I do not like to suffer. In fact, I avoid suffering and find all kinds of ways to medicate pain. Father, help me to grieve my pain and to seek relationship, truth, and patience as you heal my soul. Amen.